We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a message from Definitely Not Taylor. If you are listening to this show, you should totally rate it and subscribe to it on iTunes. To rate it, go to the iTunes Podcasts app on your phone, search for Take Catholic, scroll down to Review, give five stars, write that you like the show, and then move on with your day. Enjoy the rest of the show. What's up? And welcome to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Stroll. It is summer, my friends. We are in the middle of June here. And we are in the midst of some construction here at the Red Sea Radio Intergalactic Studios. So first of all, as normal, I am very, very hot. But like even more so right now because the air conditioner literally doesn't work in here because they're doing construction on this entire building. So I am, as the Jonas Brothers say, burning up for you, baby. I'm enduring this pain Mostly for your salvation and for mine. But also because there is uh, construction going on here, you might hear some construction noises. And there's nothing I can do about that. Because as they say, as they say, the show must go on. Speaking of the show going on, I can't go on without my trusty co-host, Father Anthony Sharapa. Father Anthony, what's up, man? Hey, Taylor, how are you doing? Oh, I am I'm just... Sweating already. We just started. We are a minute and 23 seconds in, and I'm drenched. That's what the people want to hear on the radio, right? Yeah, that's gross. Uh, <laughs> over here in the Western PA, the weather is pretty uh, temperate. It's uh, pretty average. Not too hot, not too cold right now. Well, the weather here matches me, and the weather there matches you. You're very temperate, and I am not, which means I have to live in Texas. I think that depends on who you ask, but okay. In what way are you arguing with me? <laughs> Which part oh, of no, this? No, no. You are a crazy person. So the intensity of your particular uh, temperament and the temperature of Texas, that matches pretty well. You calling me temperate, I'm not sure if I agree with or I know people who would maybe disagree. Well, here's the but. thing. I do every, everything that I say is in comparison to me. So uh, com- compared okay. to me, you're an introvert. Compared to me, you're temperate. Compared to yeah, me, you're super holy. But, you know, you're just like kind of like middle of the road, I guess, yeah, to everybody yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, okay. Yeah, I, never mind. I take that back. I definitely agree with you, yes. The world doesn't revolve around me, but my entire internal lexicon does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, hey, so I had this conversation with you uh, this weekend that I, that I wanted to kind of dive into a little more. Because it was Father's Day. And I actually asked you, because I was like, I always wondered how priests feel about Father's Day. Because literally, like, your title is father. Like, we call you father, but you don't have children. So, like, you don't have your own children. Yes, you have spiritual children. Yes, I understand the theology of it. But I always wondered, like, in the practicals of, like, what this day is is celebrating, all the promotion at least, is celebrating yeah. fathers like men who have sons. <laughs> so, like, I actually right. wanted to know from you, like, do how, how do you feel about, like, do you want people to say Happy Father's Day? Did you enjoy Father's Day? Is it a sad day for you? Like, what's your experience of Father's Day as a priest? Yeah, so I think people wouldn't say Happy Father's Day to me 
if they hated my face, right? If like my parishioners didn't like me, they wouldn't bother to say happy Father's Day. So the fact that many of them do, I take as a term of endearment and I really appreciate it. Also, like for me, the thing I was most excited about in seminary, about becoming a priest, was being a good spiritual father to the people of God. So that's a, that's a term I, that's really near and dear to my heart. So when people wish me happy Father's Day, it's it's kind of nice. I actually I really do like it. I, I don't see any like uh, problem with it. I don't you know I don't feel lonely or anything like that. I'm just I'm happy to be a priest. I'm happy to be a father in the way that I am. So I think it's nice. I I I, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's good, and it's one of those things that, like, again, like, I'm in my head all the time, and I only think about how things affect me, and I never really even thought about it, like, how would a priest feel about this? Um, you know, it's like, because, like, oh, would I offend a priest if I said Happy Father's Day? Would I offend a priest if I didn't say Happy Father's Day? It's like, I don't know what to do, so you just ask, and then you get your answer, and now I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, for Father's Day, I have to tell you how my Father's Day started. So, Please do. Uh, what's great about Father's Day this year is that it was both Father's Day and my wife and I's anniversary. So it oh, was, wow. like, it was, we were trying to live out that scripture that I'm going to misquote, but it's like outdo each other in doing good to one another. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. who's celebrating who more, the father or the husband because she stayed with you? You know, like which one, <laughs> which one are we actually celebrating? So she started off the day, uh, like, she has this uncanny sense to know when I'm awake. Like, I'm typically the one that wakes up last in our house. Because there are small children and they wake her up at god awful hours and she loves me. So she lets me sleep, you know, sleep in until eight, you know, like that sort of thing. Right, so, right. Yeah. Um, so I'm laying in bed, kind of getting up, and like my wife and my daughter have this uncanny ability to know when I'm awake. Uh, my daughter runs in and I, I, she says, Happy Valentine's Day, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Thank you. Like knowing, knowing that my wife sent her in. To say either happy Father's Day or happy anniversary, one of the two, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I say, uh, thank you, baby, but it's you know, it, it's it's Father's Day, but but thank you. And 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 then she says, Of course, mommy made waffles. And I was like, Oh great, like this is awesome. Yeah. So my wife made me these like wonderful chocolate chip waffles with bacon. Like it was an amazing breakfast. Mm-hmm. So I, I went so she said, Mommy made waffles. I said, Okay, go tell mommy thank you. And go tell her happy anniversary. So I hear her little feet, you know, little four-year-old feet, pitter-patter into the other room. And all I hear, I swear to you, all I hear is, Mommy, I want more waffles. Like, she's (laughs) so bad, so bad at following orders and following directions. I got told happy Valentine's Day. My wife didn't get told happy anniversary. It was the the word. That's our family. That's what, that's. That's the craziness that happens on Father's Day. I think I think really she knows what's important. What's important is waffles. That's the one thing she could remember. <laughs> that's the biggest life-changing event for a four-year-old right now in her universe. Waffles. That's what's going on today. Yeah. And she's like, she's the sweetest person in the world and just a- accidentally selfish. So <laughs> I think it's really cute. But uh there, there was something that uh my wife and I did yesterday uh, with our anniversary. Like I, I'm not typically the most romantic person. Um, like I'll, I'll do like big gestures every now and then, but like, I'm not your typical, like every day. But so like I had this idea and it's one of those things that like, even with somebody that I'm like super close with, obviously my wife, it's still that like <laughs> raw vulnerableness in like having a long conversation. Like my wife and I, because we have three kids we're like, our life is crazy and we don't have those times anymore to sit down and talk. Like, yeah, we get like our monthly or bi-monthly 
uh, like date night out or whatever. But even then, like there's so much going on. We're just kind of like catching up on the last two weeks, not be, just being together, right? right just yeah. sitting there being. So for like two, two and a half hours, it's probably an hour and a half long conversation, but because we had three kids, it was interrupted for about an hour in that span. We went through like all of like, essentially we were like, what are our favorite memories of our marriage? Like year one, year two, year three. And like both of us had to like, we were like, okay, what year was that? What did we do then? What did we do then? And like, we got to reminisce about all the, all the good things. And then even some of the tough things that happened and like how we've made it through. And for some reason, like literally every year on our anniversary, we both look at each other and I'm like, I don't know why you're still with me. And she goes, I don't know why you're still with me. And like, that's our marriage, you know, like it's, so it was just this beautiful moment of being able to, to look back um, that I really appreciated. No, that's so good. It's so good to to take those moments, both in in gratitude for the good things, but also in gratitude for the fact that you were able to endure the bad things too. Um, to take stock of your marriage like that, I think is a very good, uh, healthy thing to do. So I'm glad you were able to do that. Yeah, it's really cool. So I would uh, I would encourage people to to do that with with, with whatever situation in your life, whether, like whether it's you mm-hmm. with your priesthood or people with like whether whether they work or relationships that they have. Uh, it was just cool to look back and remember those times and be able to look at them, obviously, through the lens of today, which is really cool. Right. Um, so I think when my anniversary comes up, a priesthood, June 25th, I'm going to make myself waffles and bacon. And I'm going to think about my three years of priesthood. That's what I'm going to do now. <laughs> I'm, I feel like my daughter just changed the world for the first time in her little <laughs> life. I feel like she has impacted the world. Uh, so Okay, so speaking of things that happened a long time ago that we are looking back in our memory. I've had this thing stuck in my head for almost a month. Since you came back, since you came on the show a month ago, you come on once a month and I've had this thought and I, I saved it just for you. One, one, because you are a priest Two, because I have no idea how this conversation is going to go with you. And it, it brings me so much joy. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. This is exciting. Okay. So all of this came all this, I have to tell you how it came up, and I, I promise you people listening, we will get to the point at some point. But all of this came up when I went to a mass where the priest, during the, like, the, I mean, it's the holiest part of the mass. So, like, yes, there's a funny thing I'm going to point out about it. I'm not trying to, like, make fun of the mass. Okay. So, there's a point in the elevation where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, do this in remembrance, remembrance of me. And then the priest holds up the body, and then usually bells ring. And then we right. go through the rest of the prayer, holds up the chalice, that sort of thing. Okay. <clears throat> this came up because I went to a mass where the priest, like you could tell he was either trained to do this or it was part of his reverence or something, like held up the host for like 15, maybe 20 seconds. Like a v- that's a very oh, wow. long time to hold yep. up the host. And so he- here's ta- how Taylor views spirituality and the mass, right? So I'm okay. sitting here thinking it's like literally fighting inside of my head. Like this man, obviously like great priest uh, focusing on the holiness and the reverence of this moment that is happening. But also at the same time, like I'm picturing Jesus at the last supper, like saying, do this in remembrance of me and holding up the bread. Like I don't, I can't picture in my mind him holding up a piece of bread for 15 to 20 seconds <laughs> because here's what I picture would happen. <laughs> I, I picture like Jesus is holding up the bread forever. Uh, like I, I imagine that's when Judas left 
the the dinner table. He's like, I can't do this anymore. And Judas <laughs> leaves. taking too long. That's yeah. why he betrayed Jesus, because dinner was taking too long. <laughs> and then, like, John, it says that John is laying on the breast of Jesus. And, like, we always think that's, like, that's the closest thing. I think he was just tired and falling asleep. Like, he, it was going on for so long. And then Peter's, like, whispering to him, like, psst, John. Ask him when this is going to be over. <laughs> you know, like, so <laughs> those are all the things happening in my head when during the yeah. holiest part of the Mass. So, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, just general comments on anything that just happened before we kind of dive into this. First of all, I just want to affirm and appreciate your sense of humor in the spiritual life. That's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. So, well, I you. think that's a good thing. Um, but I think so when I hold up the hosts or the chalice at those parts, I hold it up for the length of, like, in my head, I'll say, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And that'll be about as long as I hold it up. And I do that because at least there used to be an indulgence for people in the pews to, to say those words when the priest held up the host. There was an indulgence there. So just in my brain, I figure that's a pretty good length of time. Now, what's interesting is before we had Eucharistic adoration, you know, before we had the, our Eucharistic Lord and the monstrance, the reason why that happened was because people wanted, they didn't receive communion very often. So when the priest held up the host, that was like the one time, and that was as close as they could get to our Eucharistic Lord. So they wanted the priest to hold it up there for a long time. And eventually, I think priest's arms got tired and like, let's just build a gold container so you can just look at Jesus as long as you want. So the idea of holding that up for a really long time, like you don't have to do that. Just, just go to adoration, right? So I think, there's a, there's a balance between, you don't want to just be like peekaboo Jesus, like, oh, here he is, go, and now he's gone. You <laughs> also don't want to like, you know, hold him up there for like 40 seconds because then it gets a little bit awkward liturgically. <laughs> so that's my opinion about those things. <laughs> is, did the priest freeze? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I have a few things. First of all, yeah. I have to let the audience listening at home uh, know that, yes, the entire time you were talking about lifting the host, your arms were literally raised above your head. Yes, I was yes, the only were. person that could like say that. You held it up for 40 seconds while you were saying, <laughs> don't hold it up for 40 seconds. That was beautiful. Uh, second of all, like, I never actually knew the thing about the, like, that's why they, like, the same desire for Eucharistic adoration was that desire from back in the day. Like, that's actually really intriguing and kind of, like, it, starting to explain to me where yeah. this comes from because it just doesn't, Makes sense because, like, th- there is this this part of me that I like. I like reverence, mm-hmm. and and I like like seeing Jesus, like picturing Jesus actually walking with his apostles and walking with his disciples, right? And that seems yeah. to be a conflict sometimes. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, when you when you come into church, you need to do this because we need to be reverential. And it's like some of those rules seem a little rules or traditions seem a little weird to me because it's not how I would act if Jesus, the person, was actually standing in that room. Mm, yeah. But there's other things where it's like, oh, you can't just chum it. Like, if you're just, like, the apostles, like, sitting with Jesus on a lawn, like, you can't act like that in church either. So it's like this conflict within me of, like, is Jesus my Lord, my Savior, my friend in this moment? Or he's always all three, so how does that fit together? So, like, yeah. even when it comes to this elevation in the Mass, like, if a priest— holds it up for like 15, 20 seconds. Like, it's weird to me. Like, this is so on the side of like reverence and not like, this is not anything like <laughs> how Jesus probably did this. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. But on the other side, like you said, the, I think you said your words were great, peekaboo Jesus, where it's just like, <laughs> it's so much like a, a f- like a familiar thing. Oh, we do this all the time, especially for priests. Like that's always, I always thought it would be a struggle, like doing mass over and over and over again. Like, oh, this is just so rote and, and like familiar to me that it's not reverential anymore. And like finding that happy medium where it's just right is, is right. hard. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and you're right, because I'm a priest. I celebrate Mass all the time, um, every day. And I even have, like, across the hallway from where I'm recording this with you right now, there's a tabernacle. And I've got, like, all my books and stuff in there. And, I, and so you can become so familiar with the Eucharist that it becomes less special if you're not careful. So I, I think that the priest's familiarity with the Eucharist can either make him very holy or can, you know, really lead him astray. So that's why you need that balance. So the balance in my life kind of looks like whenever I pass by the chapel in my rectory, I make sure I genuflect, like a real solid genuflection. But also if I go to pray, uh, I'm totally okay just going there and praying for my PJs and drinking coffee in the morning too. <laughs> so that's where I bet. But at mass, I wouldn't do that. I would not be in my PJs, nor would I be drinking coffee. So Well, you, you could wear that, your PJs because you have like the album stuff on top. That's true. I could. <laughs> I could. As an idea. Hmm. But anyway, um, I think the mass, so when Jesus was walking on earth, you did have those moments where like at his baptism, all of a sudden the clouds open up and the spirit falls down upon him. It's like a really reverential moment or at the transfiguration, like the uh, Peter and the other two apostles, they were like freaking out and like falling to the ground. But then, you know, after all that, they just got up and walked down the, the mountain with Jesus. So I think, you have to search your own hearts and take those moments where, like, make sure I remember that this is my Lord and my God, and also that he's my friend. I think in general, at the Mass, it's more of a focus on this is my Lord, this is my God in that moment. That's more of the Mount Tabor transfiguration moment. Um, but it's good to bring in that kind of casual familiarity, friendship uh, in private prayer, in adoration. So that's kind of how I would cut that balance. Yeah, and it's good. And I, and I like that. You have thought about this before, that you've recognized this before, and that it's still something that it's like it it comes into each and every moment. Because like I don't I don't think I could sit here and say, oh, this is what we need to do, guys. I'm like you didn't you didn't either. This is what we need to do. But it's like this is a, a two sides of a coin that are both two good sides of a coin. Like Jesus as familiar and as like someone we can talk to and also like Jesus, the transfigured Lord, the one who's coming on the clouds. Like he is always both of those. And I think being able to walk in both of those spaces is really helpful for our spiritual life, for our, for our sanctity, for how we uh, act in prayer and in mass. And uh, hopefully that I can get better at those kinds of things. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we all can. Hopefully we all can. All right. So uh, I am Taylor Stroll. You are listening to Forte Catholic. That is my co-host, Father Anthony Sharapa. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'm finally going to learn how to be a good Catholic man from Sam Guzman from the Catholic gentleman. Don't go anywhere. Father Anthony, do you have any friends? No. Well, I can't help you in that case. But if you ever make a friend, do you Uh believe that any of these friends will have a beard, lips, or skin? Oh, definitely. I would only make friends with people who had a beard, lips, or skin. Or or all three? Preferably all three. Preferably all three. Sorry, ladies.
celibate priest here. Only friends. That's the rules. Only friends with with men with beards and that one lady from uh, what's that movie called? Greatest Showman. Exactly. You could be friends with her. So. Catholic Bombco has some of the greatest gifts, not only for you, but for your friends as well. You can actually love your neighbor by buying them some Catholic Bomb, like beard stuff, which I use, and it makes me look amazing. And you could also buy lip balm for those lady people that you know, but Father Anthony can't because that's illegal. Just like mm-hmm. just like sinning and hearing confessions on Xbox Live. Um, have you used Catholic Bomb Co. before, Padre? I have not. I'm waiting for someone to gift it to me. So well, I think I, they should use your code. To I, buy can't, me some I can't gift it to you, but someone else wow. can, and they will get 11% off by going to ForteCatholic.com slash beard, B-E-A-R-D, to get 11% off your next order. Order? Order. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. I am your host, Taylor Schroll, still joined by the lovable, the entertaining, and the good-looking Father Anthony Sharapa. Father Anthony. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. I figured I had to be nice to you today since it is Monday. That's, that's right? what Mondays call for, being nice. Everyone can use some affirmations you. on a Monday. Absolutely. I think you're great. You know who else I think is great, Father Anthony? Uh, who else do you think is great, Taylor Schroll? Our, yes, Taylor Schroll. I do think he's great. But I, but our guest today, Sam Guzman from The Catholic Gentleman. I have thought that this man is great from afar, from a very long time. I've followed the website, the blog, all the cool social media posts, but I've never actually gotten to meet him. And he is here with us now inside of a car in a Walmart parking lot. What's up, Sam? Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. So why do you find yourself in a Walmart parking lot while on Catholic Radio and Podcast Land? Well, we had a last-minute showing on our house, which we're trying to sell, and uh, we had to escape to the nearest place uh, it was possible. So that's uh, Walmart. Quick, we have to go to Walmart. <laughs> so they don't have a thing like you don't have to like buy anything to sit in their parking lot? You're just kind of hanging out there? I hope so, because I don't plan on buying anything, but... Uh, If I do have a need for uh, mass-produced, cheaply-made materials, I'd know where to get them. Wait, you said, I didn't realize this before, but you said we had to escape. Is your wife in the car with you or something? Or did she go to a different Walmart? How did that work? We we split up a few minutes ago. Oh, I'm so so sorry to hear that. That's such a weird thing to reveal (laughs) on the radio. She she took the van. I'm in the truck, so. (laughs) She's like, scatter, go, go. (laughs) You don't have to, you don't have to notify the annulment tribunal. Okay, good, good. (laughs) Well, that would have been a really weird way to start this conversation. Hey, the Catholic gentleman, he's a great Catholic man who just announced his annulment on radio. Fantastic. No, 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 yeah, so. No, well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad everything is good. still happily married. (laughs) That's fantastic news. I'm very happy for you and happy for her, I I believe, as well, because you seem to be a pretty great man. I've I've followed along with the Catholic gentleman, your website, your blog, uh, social media, like all the things that you've been doing for quite some time. And and I I know we've run in similar circles, but I've never actually uh, gotten to talk to you before. So who is Sam Guzman? Well, I uh, am a marketer at the company uh, Covenant Eyes. We help make software to help people overcome uh, pornography addiction. In the meantime, in the spare time, I uh, am the founder and editor of The Catholic Gentleman, and recently the author of the, the Catholic Gentleman 
book, uh, Living Authentic Manhood Today. And I also am uh, a student. I'm pursuing a master's degree in counseling. I have four kids and uh, one wife who, yes, I am still happily married to uh, as of this moment. So, um, yes, I asked a little bit about me. So that's why she has the minivan. She's taking the four kids so they wouldn't be on the radio right now. <laughs> that's right. Things could get pretty lively pretty quickly uh, if she hadn't uh, taken off with them. So You were telling us a story a little bit before we actually went on the air that like, your house is being showed. They gave you five minutes notice with your four kids. You're just like, oh, my goodness, we got to go here. I got to go do this radio thing. I want you to know that in the midst of your stress, in the midst of everything going on in your life, this is the most forte Catholic thing to ever happen to a guest. And I just want you, I don't, I want you to know how proud I am of you for sitting in a Walmart parking lot and being on the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's totally worth it, and I'm so happy to be here. Okay, so this whole Catholic gentleman thing, I actually didn't know that you worked with Covenant Eyes. Like, look at you. You're like, hey, look, I can do a little bit of everything. Marketing, counseling. I work with one of the premier uh, growth and spirituality things for men at Covenant Eyes. I also uh, tell people how to be good Catholic men at uh, the Catholic Gentleman. So where did this Catholic Gentleman idea come from? How long ago did you start it? And what what was the problem that you saw that made you want to start this ministry on the side? Well, sure. Yeah, I, um, I converted uh, to Catholicism uh, about seven years ago this past Easter. And uh, when I came into the church, I uh, came from an evangelical background. Well, really a little bit of everything um, from a Protestant perspective. But Protestants really have a lot of resources for men, and so I was kind of looking for something similar from for Catholic men. Uh, and at the time when I came into the church uh, in 2012, there really wasn't a whole lot of resources. There were a few uh, organizations, apostolates, but a lot of them weren't really active anymore. There weren't really a lot of books or other print resources, that kind of thing. So I was just kind of puzzled by that, uh, a little bit upset by that. Also by the, the parish that we were going to at the time, uh, there really were hardly any men involved uh, in, in uh, uh, volunteering in the parish or doing any any kind of leadership. Uh, and I was a little uh, concerned by that as well. So I just kind of had this vague notion that, you know, where are the Catholic men? Uh, I, I'm not finding them uh, in go involved and active. And of course, one parish is just a tiny microcosm of the whole church. So, you know, I can't say that experience universal to every parish out there but that was my initial experience coming into the church and so about a year later i was going through maximum colby's nine-day uh, novena and preparation uh, for consecration to our blessed mother about halfway through that i just had a, a clear vision for a site for catholic men um that kind of fulfilled that desire to, to see to help catholic men and to um and equip them for living the faith and uh, I could even like picture the logo in my head and everything. So I kind of ran over to a computer and found some uh, clip art and uh, copied and pasted it together and created the website. And uh, it's been going ever since. So that was about six years ago. And uh, I'm really proud of you because very soon after your conversion, when you wanted to put together something Catholic, you immediately went for the clip arts. And there is nothing more Catholic than using clip art in media, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew right away that to be authentically Catholic, it had to be tactical. Exactly, uh, so, exactly. No, <laughs> so no, I, uh, I, I actually was pretty impressed by the clip art that I found. I've had, since had a professional version of the logo done, but the original logo doesn't look that bad. I don't know how I found such good stuff uh, so quickly, but... 
it's must gr- have been Providence. It's great because like you start off like you know the reason I saw a problem is because I was a Protestant converting to Catholicism. You had these new eyes in the church, and not just this like you know oh we've been Catholic, it's always been this way thing. And you started off with this beautiful vision, and then you were like, yeah, but I got to appeal to the people, so I went with the clip art. Like you know you just kind of got derailed a little bit. But despite the clip art, you've done you've done some great work. So most recently in this book, where you've taken all this work that you've done. And, and wrote the Catholic Gentleman book. And like I saw the tagline uh, in like promo materials, and I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Because the tagline is, can toxic masculinity be cured in today's culture? And so toxic masculinity is a thing that is hard for me to say, apparently. I've tripped over it both times that I've said it. But also it's a thing that I'm not quite sure what it is. But apparently I have it. Like I'm not really sure. So what what is toxic masculinity? It's contagious. I'm I'm contagious right now, but that's the bronchitis. I'm trying to ask about toxic masculinity. Please stop making me say it because I'm not good at saying it. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) It really depends on who you ask. I mean, some people would say that toxic masculinity is just an abuse of masculinity, where it's uh, treating women without respect or, or taking advantage of people or that kind of thing. Uh, or using your uh, you know, masculine strengths to uh, take advantage of others. But other people would say that it's just masculinity in general, that anytime a little boy picks up a stick and pretends it's a sword or uh, bites his piece of toast into the shape of a gun, <laughs> that, uh, which my little boys do all the time, by the way, uh, that they are being toxically masculine, that any, kind, any sign of aggression, any sign of risk-taking, uh, any sign of competition, uh, is toxically masculine. That essentially men need to eliminate any competitiveness, uh, any aggressiveness, any assertiveness, uh, and and just be as you know as passive and wimpy as possible. I mean that's 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 what a lot of people out there are saying about masculinity. That it, it needs to stop being masculine. Uh, and 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 uh, it's it's not just uh, wrong behaviors on the part of men, but it's actually just men in general that are toxic. And that's a serious problem. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm confused because, like, the assertiveness and competitiveness, like, that that's me. Like, those two words might define who I am. So I'm like, uh, apparently I'm wrong now for being me. And obviously, like, I don't want to be, like, I don't want to be anywhere a part of this toxic masculinity. Like, that's actual toxicity of degrading women or putting down women or using power over women or, like, any of those things. So, like... When you say, like, I don't really care what anybody else says right now. All I care about is what you say. The toxic masculinity that is a problem, what is that and what needs to be done to solve it? Yeah, well, I I absolutely do think that men have failed in our culture in a a larger extent. Absolutely not all men. But, I mean, if you look on college campuses and the hookup culture and that kind of thing, there is a gross uh, disrespect for women um, and you know, it's, it's really a, a war between the sexes right now, and it's, it's not pretty. But um, as far as what I would say it is, it's men who are not virtuous. It's men who have not reined in those, uh, those masculine uh, tendencies, those uh, appetites, which in a sense are natural to being human. And yet, because of our disordered fallen state, are really out of control right now. And they need to be reined in, need to be disciplined, they need to be channeled. Uh, and that's really the role of virtue. But if you look at um, manhood in general, we've really denigrated virtue recently in our culture. And we've really uh, said that it's not that all, that important. 
and we're reaping the consequences of that now. Uh, and we have men who are, are just uh, really um, not living up to their full potential. And so what do we need to do to fix it? Well, we need to grow first and foremost in virtue at a natural level. I mean, we need to grow in those virtues of, of prudence, temperance, fortitude, justice, uh, and, and, and that's really the foundation. But once we've laid that foundation, then we need to pass beyond that to, you know, faith, hope, and ultimately love and, and really become men of sanctity and holiness, especially as Catholic men. We need to lead the way in this regard. That's really what it comes down to, to me, is that men have lost any sense of virtue and have really sunk to the lowest common denominator. And they're, they're really slaves to their appetites to a large extent in our culture. And of course, you can't, you're painting about the broad brush here. You can't isolate individuals here. But I'm saying as a rule, our culture has glorified vice and it has denigrated virtue. And uh, you see that in the media. You see that in the entertainment that we fill our minds with, that vice is glorified and virtue is mocked or uh, put down. And, and we're, we're seeing the, the rotten fruit of that. Uh, so we really need a return to virtue, a really a return to uh, that masculine dignity and self-control uh, that, that is really typified by the gentleman. So we get this idea of the gentleman, which is obviously like a big part of, of who you are, a big part of this, this uh, ministry that you have started, a big part of this book that you have written. And one thing, like anytime I hear anything for Catholic men where it's like, oh, you need to be more like this, which is like a good thing, even the more, the more virtuous. The more, one of the biggest pushbacks that I have within myself and biggest pushbacks that I've gotten from young men and from even older men is like, well, that's not something that I desire to be. Right. Where it's like we have these men in culture where it's like, oh, yeah, the strong, the powerful, the rich, the famous. And that's like what we have this desire for. And yet we were built even deeper with a desire to be like God and before God. But it's like I don't desire virtue as much as I desire pleasure. How can essentially it's a selfish question. How can you sell the good of being a Catholic gentleman to someone who's questioning I don't know if like a, being a Catholic gentleman is fun or enjoyable or bring me happiness. Sure. Well, I, 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 it's definitely a legitimate question. And I think that if you look at our, uh, what our culture promises, they, it's pleasure in the moment. That's what brings you happiness. Um, and because ultimately what we all want is happiness. We want truth. We want goodness. We want beauty. But we're seeking them in all the wrong places. That's the problem. It's not, it's not so much that we want happiness. It's that we are pursuing cheap substitutes for that happiness. Uh, we're, we're trying to satisfy that, that deep craving uh, for goodness and beauty in all the wrong places. So, you know, for example, pornography, men are turning to that and they're seeking that uh, when they're really, what they're really desiring is, is beauty and goodness, but they're just, they're, they're fulfilling that desire with a, with a distortion and ugly distortion of what God intended. And so ultimately it will leave them miserable. It will leave them unhappy. Um, and so you can't, you can't equate pleasure in the moment with happiness. They're not the same thing. So what I would how I respond to that is that, look, if you want just cheap thrills in the moment, okay, go chase that. Um, but it's going to leave you empty. Mm. But what you really want deep down is lasting happiness without end joy without end. Um, and the only way you're going to find that is by pursuing real truth, real goodness, real beauty, not the cheap distortions of that. Uh, and that's going to require a sacrifice in the moment. You may need to say no to uh, the momentary pleasure, 
Uh, and yet the fruit of that will be the lasting happiness that you actually are seeking. Um, so, you know, shed the illusion, uh, set aside uh, the cheap promises of the world and pursue goodness and you will find the happiness that you seek. It may not be instantaneous like, you know, the pleasures of the world, but it will be uh, it will be more full and more lasting uh, than anything the world can promise. Uh, Sam, you said like in 2012, you were having trouble finding uh, Catholic resources for authentic masculinity. And I remember even myself growing up, um, there are various Protestant resources that I'd be directed to. But it seems like more now, uh, it's more fashionable for Catholic men to talk about what it means to be a Catholic man, even if it's not as concentrated and as organized as what you do um, through your blog and through your resources. You see a lot on Twitter. You see uh, some priests talking about it. You see everybody talking about so what kind of sets apart what you're doing from the other conversations about what authentic masculinity is what makes a catholic gentleman the catholic gentleman as opposed to other resources sure and and yes i am very happy to say there has been a huge resurgence in the last uh seven or eight years of catholic men's movement um it's it's huge and we have bishops uh, chiming in now and uh priests and it's it's really exciting to see um, but what I would say would make uh, Catholic gentlemen different. Uh, first and foremost, I, I really think it's it's, it's that it's that vintage flavor, and you can say, well, that's just kind of kitschy, and you don't have to wear a bow tie, and you don't have to sip scotch to be a Catholic gentleman. Well, of course not. Um, but I think men right now, our culture is offering so many different versions of what a man looks like, uh, and, and and men are just confused, and they just don't really know. Uh, what what manhood even is anymore there's no there's no cultural uh, code of manhood anymore so uh, you know the vintage the point of the vintage stuff is that sometimes uh, to find our way forward we have to look back we have when you've lost your way sometimes the, the the best thing to do is retrace your steps to a time when things were a little more clear a little more sane you know don't don't that's not your end goal but it's maybe a starting point for rediscovering some some uh, more cultural expressions of manhood. And those are just as important, okay? we There are essentials of manhood that transcend time and culture, but there also are cultural trappings that do give shape to our, our living manhood within our culture. And so we need those anchor points as well. We need those as reference points. Otherwise, we're just going to be making it up as we go, and it's going to be, first and foremost, a lot of work, but it's also going to be really confusing. Um, so we need... Uh, the cultural uh, expressions as well. And uh, since we've lost those, you know, what I try to do a lot of times is just help men rediscover that. And a lot of it's uh, fun and lighthearted and it doesn't have to be, you know, overly serious. And there's no one right way. I mean, people live in different contexts. Uh, someone uh, here in Oklahoma, is it's a very casual culture here. If I wear a three-piece suit to Walmart, which I'm sitting in front of, that's uh, <laughs> going to look ridiculous. Uh, but likewise, you know, if you wear cut off shorts to a, a banquet in New York City, you're going to get laughed out of the room. So you have to address appropriately to the context. But um, I do think we need those those cultural uh, markers to help us live uh, manhood within our culture. And that's that's kind of a lot of what I try to cultivate. And I think a lot of other men's movement uh, individuals aren't, aren't doing that quite as much. Yeah. Well, hey, Sam, thanks so much, especially for... Uh for coming on in the middle of the wa the Walmart parking lot. Yeah, you know what? I do want to challenge you though. I do want to challenge you to wear a three-piece suit into that Walmart one day. When your life isn't as crazy, 
I just think it'd be a great thing for you. It's been a great thing for us have you on the show today. I want everybody to go check out catholicgentleman.net. You can find all the blogs, all the support, the store, books, social media links, everything there, catholicgentleman.net. Sam, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yep. All right, guys, we'll be right back for our final segment of the day. Don't go anywhere. Father Anthony, have you made any friends yet? Nope. Well, I'm very sad for you. But do you know people who uh, own feet? Oh, I do. Most people I know. Well, then, have we got a deal for you from our friends over at Sock Religious? Did I say sacrilegious? I did not. I said sacrilegious, but that play on words is intentional by the owner. Sock Religious has the greatest socks in the entire world. I wore them yesterday for the athletic banquet because my track team is so amazing. I wore the St. Michael socks because literally, like I said in the show, I had angels fighting the other team for me. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, have you gotten any of these socks yet, Father? I did. I got the Resurrection Jesus socks, and I wore them Easter, and it helped me pray Mass so much better because I wore these socks. Well, I'm actually surprised by this news because I didn't think the answer would be yes. I'm very proud of you, and I'm glad that you prayed better. You too, my friends, can pray better. If you go to ForteCatholic.com slash socks, you'll get some kind of percentage off that I can't remember off the top of my head at this moment, but you will finally receive that happiness that you enjoy, and you'll finally be able to pray in Mass, endorsed by Father Anthony Sharapa. the Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. Nope, that's not an owl. That's not what just happened. It's just me rolling my W's because that's a thing that people can do. I'm not sure how I felt about that. That was a little, uh, I don't know. Well, you know I do everything I do for your approval, Dad, so. (laughs) (laughs) Constructive criticism. I'm not sure that's constructive. I just, I just didn't like that. That was just my opinion. I didn't care for that. I liked the spiritual father joke, though. Totally worth yeah, it for right? me. It was really good. I used to sing at the beginning of that, but then we changed the song, and that song's just harder to sing with. You gotta, you gotta rap. You gotta do a rap with <laughs> the, the name of the song is Samurai, and I used to come on with, like, I am a samurai! <laughs> and, Ooh, hey. yeah, yeah, it didn't go, <laughs> I think it, that's illegal. Uh, it's illegal it wasn't illegal, but it was definitely <laughs> frowned upon. Um, okay. So there's this other podcast you do called Spicy Nugs Podcast. Podcast. I knew you were going to go there. So I just went for it. Oh, by the way, we have to have a a little meta conversation about the podcast real quick. Okay. Uh, during that, during the interviews, there's the three of us in this zoom. We can all see each other's faces and like we talk since we are talking to each other audibly, you and I talk to each other through like our hands to say yes. when we're going to jump in so there can be a natural conversation. I'm just giving the people a little sn- behind the scenes, right? Both you and I both perked up when Sam said a certain word. He said, when he, cl- said he said clip, clip art. art. <laughs> and I was about to jump in and make the clip art joke. But you put up your finger and you said, no, I have something to say. And usually in an interview... 
when you have something to say, like I'm the idiot driving along the interview, they're the good content. I'm like the the comedic relief, and then you're like this other person, like you're having the intellectual, you know, theological conversation with them. Like that's what usually happens. Yes. Uh, you stole the comedic relief from me. <laughs> I it was too easy. It was too easy. And I knew you were thinking the same thing. I knew it. We both got super excited about the clip art. The obvious clip art joke was just laying there on the floor for someone to pick up. I have to say that's the most engaged. That moment was the most engaged you ever looked in an interview we've had on the show. <laughs> it was awesome. Okay, so um, but this other podcast you do called Clerically Speaking. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. I have heard I, of it. I binged it uh, last weekend. I think I listened to like 12 or 13 episodes within a 24-hour span yeah. at one and a half speed. <laughs> it was great. Um, but one of the things that I absolutely love that I think is a mixed bag of what people love and don't love is when you pronounce French names. Oh, yes. Yes. So there's a book. My, my staff at Ablaze Ministries, we had our staff prayer this morning. And what we did was this reflection from a book called, uh, written named a book written. Good job, Taylor. You should have a radio show. There was once a book written called Simon Called Peter. Called, look at me. I'm just tripping over my words. What is happening? What is happening? Maybe it's the drugs I'm on for my bronchitis. Who knows? But it is written by none other than what I would, I guess he's French because the middle name. So no matter what his name is, you're going to read it in a French accent right now. Okay, so it's an Italian name, obviously. No. But I'll try to read it like it's, like it's a French name. Right. And not read it like it's an actual French name. Like, this is how Father Anthony pronounces French names. So if you are French, if you know how to speak French, um, I, I apologize in advance. Domalo Giuseppe Le... Oh, I can't, I can't do it with French because it's so Italian. Um, I'm just going to do it. Don, Don Marlo Giuseppe Le Proie. Okay, so... So like Le Giuseppe is what confused me. That's an Italian it's, thing. It's Giuseppe. It's Giuseppe. It's really uh, Dom Mauro Giuseppe Lapori. You sound like Mario. Bibidi babidi. Yeah. Bibidi babidi boo. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> he has a very silly name, but a very very good book. And uh, it was just this this one like chapter that we read mm-hmm. this morning and prayed with it. Kind of one of those things that was like, have you ever heard of imaginary prayer? Imaginative yes, prayer, I, not imaginative, yes. imaginary prayer. That's what I do. Imaginative prayer. That's the holy version. Yes, using your imagination in prayer. Yes. Okay, that is a skill that Taylor has absolutely zero of. Like, if that was a skill tree in video games, like, I can't do it. Like, I have an imagination, absolutely, but none of it is prayerful. So, uh, like, have you ever done imaginative prayer successfully? Yes, yes. And I think I could teach you to do it, too, because you were very close in the first segment when you were imagining Jesus being having the Last Supper, but being a little bit silly. The only thing you need to do to turn that into prayer is to start talking to Jesus Christ about what you've just imagined, because you were even getting at certain insights about what is respectful, what is a familiarity. You are good at imaginative prayer, Taylor Shaw. You just need a little bit of coaching. That's all. That's what I want to say to you. Okay, this is blowing my mind because literally I know that I have an imagination because literally every time – like the thing about imaginative prayer 
is the yes. prayer part that I'm not good at. <laughs> because... Yeah, you just gotta pray with what, what you've imagined. That's all it is. Because, like, okay, I have these, like, literally, like, you and I were texting back and forth about my imagination from a couple episodes ago when I saw a traffic cone in the middle of adoration. Like, it's just, yes. like, my imagination goes wild, but it distracts me from prayer instead of, like, helping me to pray, right? Oh, man, this is what I want to say. I'm glad we segued to this, because I want to say this. So often people get so freaked out by their distraction and prayer, like, oh no, I'm so distracted, I can't pray. And then all they do is think about their distractions and how distracted they are, and they find that part even more distracting. Here's what you do if you're distracted in prayer. This is one good way. Pray with distraction. Sometimes we make prayer into this bigger thing. Prayer really is just wasting time with God. And just like you and me goof off and talk about silly things sometimes, you can do that with God. So all you have to do is pray with a distraction. So like you're thinking about the uh, parking cone stuff, just talk to Jesus about that. And then that's boom, <laughs> boom, prayer. Easy. Yes, very easy. That's why I've easy. done it a total like of zero times. But I, 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 to be fair, though, like, okay, I, this is actually really good for me to hear. And this it always surprises me when you have something good for me to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Because like like you said, most of the time we talk together, it's just us wasting time. And then all of a sudden you turn on your priest hat and you're like, oh, look, I'm good at spiritual advice. You know, like, <laughs> Because like I, I always just feel so dumb. Like when I'm with the rest of my staff, they have this beautiful imaginative prayer and all these things. And I'm just like, I saw Jesus in a top hat and he was telling jokes. <laughs> and, and that's great. It's, I mean, that's like, that's the heart. That's the mind that Jesus Christ gave you. You th Don't you think he gets bored with all their pious prayers? I think he does. He wants to talk about something fun with somebody. I do. There, there are so many things in the spiritual life that I do poorly, that I wish I was better at. But I do think... Because, like, from being a father, we were talking about fathers earlier, because I am a father, I have a favorite child, because every parent does. And I might not be Jesus's holiest child, but I do think I'm one of his favorites, because, <laughs> because my spiritual life may or may not be one of the more entertaining things he deals with every day. Yeah, why not? I think that's good. <laughs> it's like you got your holy kid, then you got the idiot. Like, that's me. I can do that. And they're all fun. They're all lovable. Some more than others, but uh, I'm lovable in a certain way. I'm lovable in, like, the class clown way. It's like you don't like what they do, but you like them. Mm. Right? Uh, Taylor, you are good, and God loves you. Uh, oh, Period. Now you're making me angry because you're meta talking about your tweets. God is good, and you get 8,000 likes, and it makes me so angry. <laughs> I was trying to be genuine. This is the problem with me goofing up on Twitter sometimes. People don't know when I'm being genuine or when I'm being silly. But anyway. Okay. So anyway, uh, now that we've gone nine minutes talking about literally just his name, uh, let's talk mm -hmm. about what he wrote about. So he, he, it's yeah. this book written from the perspective of Peter. So I'm reading this, and this book like essentially is imaginative prayer written for me. It's like putting the reader in the position of Peter. So it's like this certain story was the calling of Peter. Uh, so he's, he's being called after the long night of fishing. They've been fishing all night. They're professional fishermen. They haven't caught anything. Like we've all heard this story, right? Literally in the midst of his tiredness and frustration with work not going well. Like I imagine myself like coming home after a day where work didn't go well. And it's like, that's not the time for me to be holy and to pray and to do all these other things. Right. 
And there was this line in it. And like we even kind of talked about this. Sam did it. Sam in the last segment gave us a great segue into this. There was a line that stuck with me. And it said, Man is made to desire happiness, and it is hard for him to be unable to get what he wants. And that hit me. It hit me so hard. Because I often say jokingly, but I'm serious. Like I usually get what I want. Like, because of my way with words and charisma and my beautiful, beautiful blue eyes. And back in the day when I had beautiful hair and a beautiful body, those two things are gone now. But I've still got the eyes. You can actually see the eyes better because there's no hair blocking yeah. the way. Like, I usually can get what I want. But the thing that hit me is what I want probably always isn't good for me. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I desire happiness. But like Sam was talking about... I get what I I can get something that makes me feel good now that actually is a detriment to my happiness in the future and I was like wow it it yeah. it, it wrecked me this morning mm -hmm. no thoughts huh yeah oh no no no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah um well that's good that's good I mean that's when you know um it's it's difficult but also a good thing once God like wrecks you like that because he's revealed to you a truth he just said this is how things are this is how you act Taylor. And what I would say is once you realize that, don't be upset by that. That's a good thing because God has not allowed you to stay where you are. He's shown you what he's going to do. He's shown you where you need healing, and now he'll bring you through it. Sometimes I think we are afraid to go into prayer because we're afraid of the things that God will point out to us. But he never points things out to us to make fun of us or to say, look how bad you are. No, no, no. He's just doing that as like a good doctor says, this is your diagnosis. Now let's begin the healing process. So whenever you get something like that, realize, oh my gosh, this is how I act. This is what I do. And that's not good. Even though the action isn't good, God pointing that out to you is a very good thing. It's a blessing. And I'm, it's crazy how, how right you are. And I will never say that again. Uh, okay. <laughs> like That's a challenge. I accept like, it. Literally, in, like you haven't read my notes because you never read my notes. But like no. literally the point of this is exactly what you just said. Like this mm. is how God treats me right and it's it's beautiful and it's loving because he that was literally in the first paragraph of these four pages and it wrecked me and i was like wow like this is huge and it's hitting my heart and it's challenging me and calling me forward and then it goes on and talks about simon's experience through the rest of that night two two parts as tired as he was simon probably did not did not catch much of Jesus' preaching on the crowd. So he, he's fishing. He takes Jesus out on his boat. He's exhausted. He's literally been working all night. He just met this guy he doesn't know, takes him out on his boat. He's frustrated from not catching anything. Like, what is going on? Confusion, all this stuff. But once again, it was good just to be near Christ. In his presence, although the weariness of that wasted night remained, like, he still had the feelings of, like, that night was terrible. The unhappiness was gone. So that one, like I've thought about like times in prayer, times in mass where I felt like that. I had a terrible day. I had a terrible week, but I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the last part was when Jesus asked to send the nets over, Peter, I, I would have snapped at him. And, and like the guy, right, <laughs> right. He's like, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. I've been up all night and I just let you use my boat. Don't tell me how to do my job. Right. Um, but the guy says, "Don't tell me how to podcast. Don't tell me how to do a radio show." I remember hearing this even recently, right. like a few times on your right. show. Right? Yeah, something like that. Um, all he does is he states very matter-of-factly, "Master, we toiled all night and, and we got and we caught nothing." He just he just states the facts. You know, he's kind of frustrated. What? He states the facts, 
And then, like, this is this is the beauty the beauty of this this writer that I thought was French, who's actually Italian. Almost against his will, almost against Peter's will, he heard himself add, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And I was like, oh my gosh, dude. Like this, this is the story of my spiritual life. Number one, he had just chastened me, right? Yeah. You yeah, always yeah. get what you want. You only care about yourself. Be better. Also, I recognize the times that you come to church. And you can't pay attention because there's so much going on in your life. I recognize the times that you're frustrated, you're tired, you're overwhelmed. And, and I also recognize the times that even if it feels like it's against your will, you're still saying as much as you can at your word, whatever. Right? So that was, that was powerful for me this morning. And I just wanted to share that with you. That was good. It's a good prayer reflection. And that can show you the, the fruit of uh, imaginative prayer like that. And that's something once you maybe see it a few times, you can start doing it yourself. We just kind of Imagine like, oh, what's Peter thinking or what's Paul thinking or what, you know, Jesus is saying this. What would someone in the crowd be thinking? And then you just ask God about that and talk with him about that. Like, Lord, I felt like when I was imagining this scene, it was night out. Why would I imagine that's night out, Lord? You just kind of go with it. It's a really fruitful way to pray. I feel like I'm going to try this. And instead of the result that you desire for me, I'm just going to end up texting you throughout it like, why is it night outside? What is happening? Don't, don't text me when you go to pray, Taylor. I will ignore you. Pray first, and then after your prayer, then you can text me. Okay, that's a deal. All right. <laughs> this is episode 140 of Forte Catholic. I'm Taylor Stroll. That's Father Anthony Serapa. I'll be back next week. See ya! Father Anthony, I'm really concerned that you haven't made any friends yet. Are you okay? Me too. Uh, I mean, I'm a little, a little sad. Well, I can't help you there, but I can help the other people join a community of just the ama- most amazing people in the world over at patreon.com slash forte. I think it's forte. Do you know? I don't know. Patreon.com slash forte Catholic. That's <laughs> how it goes. I'm like you said earlier in the show, I'm a professional. Yes. And I know how to do things. So there's all kind of bonus content, things that we uh, didn't have time for on the show, things that we literally couldn't say on the show because Taylor would get fired. Um, That's all over at patreon.com slash Forte Catholic. If you want more Father Anthony, and if you want to finally help him be a friend, you can pay for that privilege at patreon.com slash Forte Catholic. Please help me feed my children.